When fundraisers are leading, they can do so with a coaching mindset. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm delighted to have with us as our guest today, Rashad Nelms, who's the Associate Vice President of Strategy and Innovation at Indiana University. And Rashad, thank you so much for being with us on the Fundraising Schools podcast. Thanks for having me, Bill. It's a pleasure. Now, Rashad is providing leadership influence and coaching throughout our university and to organizations across the country and around the world, starting with the work that he did for the United Nations World Food Program, 18 years of service, ensuring that food resources uh, are coming into challenging and desperate situations around the globe. Rashad, what can you tell us about the World Food Program and your work for this remarkable organization? So, Bill, the World Food Program is the world's largest humanitarian organization. Uh, We have over uh, 20,000 staff worldwide in more than 110 countries. We also, on average, uh, provide food assistance to more than 110 million people throughout those 110 countries. And that food assistance takes different forms in in different operational contexts. So, for instance, um, let's say... uh, the coup that happened in Niger or the civil uh, civil war that's taking place in South Sudan or the uh, there might be uh, mass refugee displacements in different parts of sub-Saharan Africa. We are providing things such as uh, general food assistance where uh, we will target populations in coordination with national governments as well as national and international NGOs to provide a general food distribution uh, ration to individuals. In other instances, uh, we serve as the backbone uh, of the UN's IT as well as their uh, telecommunications cluster. And then we also work for, in many instances, with middle-income countries. So in the past, we've worked with India as well as China to help strengthen or to reinforce their food food supply as well as their logistic chains. So it's a very comprehensive uh, set of, org- set of uh, initiatives and, and programs. And so throughout those 18 years, I operated or served in a variety of capacities. So things ranging as managing two of our sub-offices on the borders of Zambia as well, Z- within Zambia uh, that bordered Angola, and then the other office bordered uh, Malawi, served as a government donor relations officer, both in Rome as well as in Islamabad, Pakistan, um, also served as the director of our corporate ambassadors program, which leverages celebrities such as Michael Kors and Drew Barrymore, uh, The Weeknd, and others to support our advocacy and fundraising. And then more recently, uh, led our communications reports and fundraising team and our Cox of the Bazaar refugee camp, which provides uh, assistance to more than a million Rohingya refugees who are escaping or fleeing uh, the, the situation in Myanmar. So throughout the course of those 18 years, it really gave me a broad overview of different leadership and management styles. A wide range of responsibilities in many different locations, so many of them challenging, so many of them in difficult situations, and you dove in head first. But I also, I just I just have to note that with all that serious discussion of the important work you did, had to name drop the weekend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> newest signed, uh, recently signed the Celebrities to the World Food, Pro- Food Program portfolio, so it's a, it's a really great moment. And one of our academic courses at the School of Philanthropy uh, is taught by uh, Dr. Jen Shaker on celebrities and philanthropy. So certainly the weekend and the others who you mentioned, uh, you know, lending their unique platform to important causes, including the United Nations World Food Program. And through this experience, Rashad has developed the coaching mindset 
three principles that all of us can use, including fundraisers when we're leading and including when we're leading up in our philanthropic organizations. Rashad, how did this come to you? Is this something that developed over time? Did you have kind of an epiphany as you were looking at your experiences and they synthesized around this framework? How did this come to you? No, I was thinking about that this morning in anticipation of our discussion. And while there's no key moment, I think that we're we're probably started. I've been very fortunate to have grown up in the home of two higher education administrators. And so that provided me with an opportunity to literally sit at the table and to hear their discussions with people like um, Ernest Smith, who was an administrator at Indiana University Northwest, or Edna Neal, who was an administrator at IU Fort Wayne, uh, Tendaji Ganges, who was at the University of Michigan Flint, uh, John Matlock, who was at the University of Ann Arbor. Um, and so overhearing those conversations really then shaped how we can help put the other, right, into positions where they can succeed. And then through the course of the 18 years with WFP, I began to see that because we're such a huge organization and because we're a multinational, we consist of multinational uh, personnel, there's not a single single way, if you will, to lead and manage. In other words, you have to be a bit agile, you have to be adaptable, you have to take into consideration uh, ethnicity, nationalities, race, gender, the whole the whole, whole kit and caboodle. And so it was through then my experience as special assistant to our former executive, former executive director, Arthur McCousin, where I was able to see up close and personal, you know, the, appli- the development and then the application of this coach's mindset. Right. So when she's in, when she was engaging, for instance, with heads of state or with the U.S. Secretary General, there were a series of principles that I started to observe that I think connected to my experiences as a child. And so those three things are, for instance, and they're particularly applicable in uh, in times of change. So in this post pandemic world. So the first one is you know, communication, having a strong narrative, and being able to clearly articulate uh, the institutional vision. The second piece is empowering your personnel. And then the third piece is to ensure accountability. And it sounds a lot easier than what I just articulated, and we can go into a bit more detail about that. But those, I believe, are the core tenets of the the coach's mindset and are specifically applicable uh, in a world in which there's been so much turnover, so much more complexity and nuances. And so leaders, particularly fundraisers, are now struggling to... uh, maybe increasingly struggling or experiencing difficulties, uh, being able to lead and manage up and to leverage their intellect, leverage their abilities, leverage their knowledge to help influence decision-making. And so that's where the coach's mindset helps, helps tremendously. Rashad, I do want to ask you to explain those three aspects of the coaching mindset, but but one point I, I want to amplify, if I could, please, and that is you mentioned that you learned uh, you know, from mentors, people who your parents were intersecting with in their work and in your family life, and then that you saw reflected in your work at the United Nations World Food Program, uh, that kind of the big takeaway was putting others, putting the other in a position to succeed. And when we fundraise, that's what we're doing with the donor, helping them succeed with their philanthropic gift and living out their philanthropic values and motivations and helping the nonprofit organization that receives that gift to be able to thrive. And most importantly, the beneficiaries of that nonprofit's programs and services 
It's never about the fundraiser, Rashad. It's all about the other. And that's what uh, is really striking about how your model fits the work of fundraising. Now, I appreciate you saying that, Bill, because I think there's a tendency. And, and again, one of the people with whom I consider a mentor, Kurt Simic, um, who's still affiliated with Indiana University, he and I regularly speak. And, and so one of the themes that consistently emerges from the conversations is it's not about the university or it's not about the institution selling what it offers. It's about taking the time to listen to the donor and to identify how best can we meet or fulfill their need, right? And I think that's going to become even more pronounced uh, in, in the years ahead. Well said. And yes, Kurt Civic, a good friend of the, the School of Philanthropy and the Fundraising School as well. The, the three principles of the coaching mindset, let's take one at a time. Have a narrative. What, yes. what is your key takeaway? What are your key takeaways there? So particularly in moments of change and upheaval, there's a tendency to, to rely on rationality. And as you and I both know, we as humans are irrational and will apply a rational explanation to justify our decision. And the research has shown, particularly in behavior science and behavior economics, that advertisers, marketing companies, and others understand their rationality principles and they apply them every day, right? And for instance, it might be if you go to a grocery store, there's a reason why the gum, the candy, and the magazines are at the very end, right? When you're checking out, it's because they know that you're, you, throughout the course of your shopping, have exhausted your willpower. So you're more tempted to make a purchase right then and there because of your tire. Or they know that the items that they wish to sell the most tend to be at eye level because they require less energy to reach. The items that are more expensive tend to be at a higher level. And the items that are at the uh, that tend to be cheaper or on sale tend to be at the lowest level, right? So what does that have to do with communication? You have to, as a leader, then not just provide the, the data or the facts, but it really is about creating an emotionally compelling rationale, right, or justification for why individuals should follow you, right? So one of the things that you and I talked about uh, in, in the past is JFK, and we tend to remember that he said, we're going to put a man in the moon within a decade. That, that was emotionally captivating given the circumstances. The Russians, the Russians were putting Sputnik, Sputnik up into space. We were you know, following a period of a great growth. And there is a sense of, have we lost our adventures, our sense of adventure, right? Our sense of youth. And so JFK in that one speech reinvigorated us, right? So as a leader, how do you capture and articulate the rational piece, but do it in a way that's emotionally compelling because you need your personnel, you need your donors, you need your uh, senior executives to get behind you. So that's where the, the, the narrative communication piece comes in. And so, you know, talking about that vision and not just in terms of the data and the details, but in an inspiring way, President Kennedy didn't describe how the rocket was going to work. Uh, he talked about why this was important and how that uh, venture was going to galvanize the best in us uh, and bring the country together. And it was that inspiration around the narrative that was able to to focus that effort and that Rashad encourages all of us to do in our particular contexts as we're leading our teams, including uh, as fundraisers, leading our fundraising team and leading up throughout the organization. And as we do so, Rashad, you encourage leaders to do so by sharing power. What can we learn from this tenet of the coaching mindset? Bill, this is probably the most difficult one for many leaders, regardless of sector, 
to adopt, right? As we both know, the world has changed tremendously since COVID. And I think it was already in those stages before, but it's only been accelerated. And the same tools and the same strategies are less effective than ever before. And so in order for an institution, in order for fundraisers to succeed, in order for executives to succeed, to succeed um, they must be willing to share power while retaining authority, right? And that's, we need to make sure that we understand the distinction because I think there's this palpable fear when we say we need to share power, that we're just giving it, giving it over and just you know, walking away. What we're saying is, is that employees, personnel, especially particularly those who are close to the people on the ground, they have a really good idea of what's going on. And they probably have a really good idea of what strategies and initiatives and programs will succeed. However, because we tend to work in large bureaucracies, we're not used to thinking or acting strategically, innovatively. It's all about these minor kind of uh, growth, right? 2%, 3%. Whereas the world now requires much greater growth, much greater expansion. And so in order to achieve that, it requires leaders to share that power, to be able to say to the personnel, I will trust you, right? And to make sure you're asking the right questions so that you're, you understand the nuances and the complexities of what they're proposing to do, but then give them the power to act. Similarly, you need to hold them accountable. So it's not just giving the person complete leverage or complete ability to do anything and whatever they want to do, but it's also ensuring that we have some key performance metrics for which we're going to hold them accountable, that we have a timeline for, for, for achieving these key performance metrics and so on and so forth. Sharing power in terms of idea generation, taking a concept and moving it towards reality, trying different things, letting people try their ideas, uh, all different ways of sharing power uh, that are in the coaching mindset. And Rashad, can I just get to amplify a little bit more on that third tenet, ensuring accountability. Of course, in fundraising, we want the nonprofit to thrive so that the beneficiaries can benefit uh, and that the cause can be advanced. But uh, help us understand more about ensuring accountability as a leader. Well, what I believe, and I think the, the data and the evidence backs this up, is that there's going to be an increasing or heightened awareness and desire from donors particularly, especially those bigger ones, not the individuals, but the family trust, as well as the uh, philanthropic institutions for justification about how you use their funds, right? And so in order to do that, we need to make sure that we have created a framework or a set of parameters in which we can hold our personnel accountable for achieving those or contributing to those outcomes, right? And so what tends, again, based on my experience, what frequently happens is that we'll give leaders will give people the, the 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 leeway to do what they want to do, but then aren't necessarily holding them accountable to what was supposed to have been done. And so more specifically, we can't be moving the 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 the, the end zone, if you will. We need to be clear from the very beginning, if this is your idea and these are the goals and objectives that you seek to to effectuate. I will hold you accountable for those, right? And we will course correct as, as required versus these are the goals, these are the outcomes, these are, these are the objectives. And then six months later, you say, well, actually, no. We, I think it should be something different because the system or the, the activities or initiatives weren't necessarily set up to, to reflect that. So that's what I mean by accountability. 
And Rashad, in conclusion here, just some final thoughts. What comes to my mind is the art of leadership. Again, there is science, evidence-based leadership theory, and that's what we teach at the School of Philanthropy. That's what we apply at the fundraising school and our courses that lead to the certificate in fundraising leadership. But, you know, so we're casting the vision through our inspiring narrative. But, but here's the synthesis that to me is so interesting. On one hand, we're sharing power, and yet we're then using our power as a leader to hold people accountable. So it's a both and that the leader needs to be able to synthesize and juggle to be effective. Am I understanding that correctly? That's correct. And it will be difficult. I'll be the first to admit that, right? It will be very difficult because it's not necessarily consistent with what we've been taught in years past. However, the circumstances require us to do and to lead and to manage differently. And so this helps to reduce the risks that are associated with leading in a post-pandemic society while increasing the probability of succeeding. Rashad Nelms is the Associate Vice President for Strategy and Innovation at Indiana University, and he has designed the coaching mindset of having a narrative, casting the vision for your organization in an inspiring way, leading while sharing power, and also ensuring accountability. Interestingly, supported by the research that first have a narrative, very consistent with what's known as transformational leadership, leading while sharing power, consistent with what's known as in-group leadership, and ensuring accountability is part of being an authentic leader. If you want to learn more about Rashad and his work, you can find him online at OptimalGPS.com. OptimalGPS.com. Dot com, And you can learn more about our academic offerings at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, where our master's degree and our professional doctorate degree delve into leadership principles and how we apply them in the philanthropic sector. Now, the School of Philanthropy is home to the fundraising school, where we have 22 different public courses taught in eight U.S. cities and online anywhere around the world. And also, these courses can be customized for your particular nonprofit, your association, and your region. We have quarterly webinars and also these free podcasts and information brought together in our textbook, Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition. Our website, philanthropy.iui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. I'm so grateful to our guest today, Rashad Nelms, in this podcast produced by Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm-hmm.